So welcome to episode 19 of Conversation on Eagle Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. I'm your host Lance and joining me on the panel today is Liz. Hello. And Sabine. Hi. With episode notes done by Matt, Kata and myself. Wake up! Selene, wake up! The prisoners escaped. So episode 19, the screenplay was done by Andy Smith. It was directed by John Reed, and the episode synopsis will be read out by Sabine. Following her encounter with Lex, Ebony escapes the mall, leaving the mall rats to wonder if they're safe in staying. Meanwhile, Paul's disappearance has Patsy worried, and Trudy finally comes clean to Amber with her feelings about Bray and Celine's budding romance. So the episode kicks off with, um, well, directly from the last episode, where we have Ebony free and observing them all. So with Ebony free and Lex incapacitated, it comes as a bit of a surprise that it's Bray who immediately steps up and tries to organise Ryan, Dow and Jack to check the sewers for the escaped Ebony. Uh, yeah, did this kind of sudden like motivation by Bray surprise you at all? Mm, I don't think, I mean, not really. He's already shown that he can when he wants to be a part of the group and care about what happens to the group he's willing to do his part and be very enthusiastic in doing his part um and he is the one who was worried about ebony to begin with and mm -hmm. i think he feels guilty because he's the idiot who she followed him to get there and he wasn't paying attention really didn't think he thought he was outsmarting her so he didn't see her trailing him and was like oh yeah everything's fine and he literally led her right back to his home so i think maybe he just feels guilty like you know, I don't, you know, something could happen if Ebony gets away and he's, you know, he can't, he doesn't trust that she won't bring the locos down on them. You know, it was nice to see though, seeing uh, Bray pull his weight and organize the kids. And I think it made a lot of sense for Bray to respond that way, especially because he's been on about Ebony being a big threat before she even followed him back to the mall. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the one who told Trudy that she should be worried about Ebony in case she ever found out about Brady. Then suddenly, he brings her to the mall by accident and Lex sets, him, sets her free, you know? <laughs> and, I mean, Brady would, of course, want to catch Ebony as soon as possible. But, yeah, I think he kind of liked it that he could be the one to lead stuff without Lex in the picture. That's possible. I mean, he has that look of, well, let's see how this really should be handled, people. There's probably a feeling of triumph, too, since Lex literally just dropped the ball. This is his one job yeah. in the tribe, and it's to keep them safe. And it's not like Ebony got away by accident, you know? <laughs> so there is definitely a sense of very puffing up his chest, you know? Like, oh, you did you fail at your job? The one thing we told you to do, and you couldn't do that? I guess we're going to have to do it for you, aren't we? <laughs> yep. It's just, yeah, I can see Bray thinking that. Um, and yeah, let's, let's turn that on his head, because obviously after expertly taking charge, he then suddenly disappears in the midst of all the preparations that everyone's trying to do to protect them all. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think when Bray suddenly vanished again? Oh, I assumed he was going after. He was just thinking, 
oh, they're gonna make sure everything's safe. So yeah, that that's fine, and I'll just go after her myself because he also wants to know what he's up to. But yeah, but it's that thing again about going off on his own after he's just taken charge. He's just helped organize things, and he's now he's getting his off again by himself doing his own plans it's a bit it's irresponsible isn't it i don't know um i mean it's irresponsible he didn't tell the group this is what i'm gonna do that's irresponsible because once again they're left hanging and not knowing when he's gonna return and you know what he's even doing um they know he's not gonna do anything to hurt them but it's still irresponsible that he didn't bother to inform his own group i'll be right back i'm he could have just said i'm scouting out there i just want to know if there's any action on the street anything he could have said that, you know. Um, I understand he didn't want to tell mm-hmm. them he was talking to Ebony directly, but he could have told them something. So I agree, it's irresponsible that he just walked out. Um, even if the tribe is used to him doing that, this isn't the time. Um, but what he's doing, I don't think is irresponsible. I don't mm-hmm. think his choosing to approach Ebony on his own is an irresponsible thing because Bray does have something, he does have a card to play. Like he's looking at his group. He sees that, okay, we've got them organized, they're being productive, they're doing what they can to protect them all. That is good. Even Lex has, you know, stopped pouting and is pulling his weight to help out. But I also think Bray's realizing that this is probably not going to be enough if the Locos are determined to attack them. And he's right. If the Locos do attack, nothing these guys have done is actually going to protect them all that much. And... I think he was thinking about that as they were getting them all together and he's seeing what defenses they could put up. I think Bray realized we won't survive an attack. So what if I can forestall an attack from even happening? Mm-hmm. You know, because think about it. He's thinking about Ebony and what her motives would be. What motive does she really have for attacking them all other than revenge? There's nothing there she needs. Zoot isn't there. So if he can talk her into it being her best interest to just leave them alone yeah like why not forestall an attack we won't survive you know he certainly can't send lex to go have this conversation with her lex has already proven he can't handle ebony and he doesn't listen so and when you say that the first thing that occurs to me is the simple fact that if bray would have told them what he was doing there's no way that lex wouldn't have come along that's true too it's possible if he had told them this is what i'm gonna do he would have either been argued down argued against uh, Lex, of course, would have been a contrarian about it. Yeah. So I, again, I understand him not saying, telling them why he, that he was going to see Ebony. I think he just should have said, said something, any excuse. I'm just scouting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there's anything out on yeah. the streets. You know? Yeah. I'm scouting. I'm just checking things out. He should have said something, but yeah, I I get why he didn't. Simply because, well, with the way Lex is, he would never have let Bray go anywhere on his own because he would just assume that he was trying to get ebony back there yeah but i think at that point lex is not in a position to bargain right now and so if bray had say i'm gonna go out and scout and see what's out on the street just see if there's any noise any action even if lex was like no i don't think you should you'll just get us in trouble i think the others would have voted against lex And someone like Amber would have been like, Lex, you have no ground to stand on. Bray has already proven that he can handle himself out there. You know, um, we already know Lex isn't going to go out there and scout. So (laughs) he doesn't like to leave them all. Uh, So I think he finally would have been talked and just fine, go out there. But he would have, you know, he would have had his personal digs. He would have said something about it. But I think that. uh, Yeah, he could have at least told someone like Amber. He could have just gone out. He could have said, this is what I'm going to do. And I think the others would have been behind him doing it. 
because Lex doesn't have much pull right now. So even the things he's arguing about, nobody's listening to him. Nobody. Even <laughs> Zondra's not listening to him. Nobody believed him at all about his story and what happened. And, um, and of course, they don't have any reason to. He's always lying to them to protect himself. Mm-hmm. And all they're seeing is he just let them down again, you know. Ebony has escaped. And she knows we're here. So what do we do? Get ready for an attack. There is an alternative. What? We could leave. Leave them all. That way the locos can't find us. Leave them all? But it's our home. True, but it might not be our home for much longer. What are your thoughts about the group deciding to stay and fight rather than flee and find another place to live? Um, like, is it realistic? Um, yeah, what do you mean? What do you think? It's a mark of how far these guys have come and what they consider themselves now. I mean, even what Chloe said, but this is our home. This is the same child who the first night she stayed in the mall said, I want to go home. This is how far these kids have come. They've claimed this. It's their piece of the world. You know what I mean? It belongs to them. They want to protect it. They don't have anywhere else to go. The mall is their anchor in this world now before all of them were doing was wandering every single one of them none of them had a home base none of them had a permanent place of residence they were all just wandering even jack didn't know what to do he was there at the mall but he had no purpose he didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow and he had no plans for tomorrow really you know and this shows just how far they've come not only are they a tribe they've named themselves um working together believing in each other, encouraging each other. But this is also their home. It's their territory. And Mm -hmm. uh, where it would be easier to leave, vacate. Historically, you've seen villages that were completely abandoned because Vikings or something were moving in. People are like, we got to get out of here. But it says something when you're like, no, this is my home. I am going to stay and fight for it. You know, it's, it's a principle. (laughs) these walls belong to me they protect me i'm going to protect them um it's when something becomes more important than just what it is it has more symbolization than that and that's what tyson basically transformed them into the mall became more than just shelter over their heads it means something to them it's theirs and they don't want someone else to just take it destroy it trash it claim it it's theirs like no they can't have this they're not taking this from us this is our home we're not going to let them take it i mean yeah absolutely it is a it's a fantastic principle but at the same time when you've got like just kids and you're up against the locos you kind of always have to be a bit realistic i think <laughs> like it is just like walls and you can't no, right land it's not realistic <laughs> there's no way they could repel the locos that's why i think bray he realizes that like he's Proud of their mm. audacity, but he also recognizes we're not going to be able to keep them out. Yeah. We're not going to be able to stop them. <laughs> no. um, but that's kind of what the Mallrats are about, that like flickering candle in a storm. Mm. It's almost futile yeah. that they keep their flame burning, but they do. You know, they just keep lighting that baby. <laughs> I do find that endearing, by the way. It's just, yeah. yeah. They're, they are the light in the darkness, standing up against mm. insurmountable odds. And um, <laughs> if you'll notice, they don't survive this because they repelled the Locos. Mm-hmm. They never have to fight them because they wouldn't have. But it is a beautiful thing about faith and believing 
and what they have and things did work out for them eventually mm. but yeah realistically ooh, that's that's basically you know what is it leonidas is 300 <laughs> at thermopylae it's a great story but you know um yeah you, you guys are trying to take down a tsunami it's not gonna happen <laughs> I, I just have to say it it, I found it so adorable that the moment Amber said, all those in favor to leave the mall, raise your hand. <laughs> no one raises their hands except for tiny little Brady, who raised her hand just in that moment. When you pointed that out, I was laughing so hard. Was like, was, Brady's like, I don't know if anyone's listening, but I'm totally cool with leaving. <laughs> she was like, yeah, take me, just leave this place, and then I'll be safe with my mommy. Uh, the look on Brady's face too. So yeah, yeah. If anyone cares, this is my opinion on it. <laughs> I don't think we stand a chance. I'm totally fine with relocating. She's <laughs> the cutest little thing. Yeah, she's a cute little baby. Precious, precious, precious. Um, rewinding a little bit. Uh, immediately after Ebony escapes, she has a, like a little kind of cry of triumph. I just wanted to see what the panel's thoughts were, uh, what that meant. Um, did you think it was because she had escaped? Um, or do you think it was because of the confirmation that Zoot is dead? Oh, I definitely think it's both. Definitely. Yeah. Like, I think it's probably more to do with Zoot than escaping. Because I don't think she was ever worried she wouldn't get out of there. Yeah, <laughs> she wasn't scared, worried about that at all. <laughs> she was like, I'm, she followed Bray, knowing that whatever she got into, she could likely get out of. Mm-hmm. And so her, her escape, super easy super easy yeah. i think it was definitely the realization that she had nothing to worry about now zoot is gone like he's he really is dead he's not hiding out here he's not planning anything against her behind her back and these mall rats aren't a threat to her i think it definitely had to do with zoot like yes he really is gone oh my goodness the logos are mine <laughs> i'm free oh, she's just so funny in that moment that look on her face is just perfect also, just the fact that she won this game, you know? Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, wow, they were so easy to take down. So easy. Had to barely put any effort in. It just, like, look cute at Lex. And <laughs> I do like that little giddy. Yes! <laughs> mm-hmm. She got the answer she came for. I mean, why else would she have followed Bray? She needed she to know. what she wanted. Yeah, and she's like, that, this... This succeeded, and she didn't have to get her logos involved, you know. And yeah, she's celebrating whatever plan she's got. She can stop pretending to go search for Zoot all over the place. Like, yes, I can just rule these guys. I can take them in the direction I want to. Freedom from her abuser, that weird, messed up relationship she was in. Mm-hmm. I don't know, that's quite true. It could have been like a little bit of relief as well <laughs> yeah yeah he really is gone he's not gonna come back because this whole time that's how she's been playing it safe mm. like she can't act as though she's not trying to find him because if he pops back in she needs to be able to prove i looked for you i did what your woman should you know mm-hmm. and she can't take the locos in any direction that zoot would disapprove of because if he comes back you know so she has to keep playing the dutiful Zoot's woman role the whole time while holding on to her power. And now it's like, ah, oh, he's gone. I don't have to do that anymore. He really is gone. Thank God. He can't do the things he did to me anymore. 
I'm the one who gets to be in charge. It was worth it to her because <laughs> now she's got all that power and her wheels are already turning on what she's going to say to them. She's genuinely free in all senses of the word. Yeah. Absolutely. Del, are you scared? Do you know, I've been too busy to think about that. But yeah, I am. Petrified. But we'll make it. Yeah. But if we don't, it's been nice knowing you. Going back to the mall, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, Jack and Del. Because uh, the two have obviously quite a good relationship and bond. Uh, and we see them here trying to defend them all and come up with ways using the technology that's available to them. And it was during this as well that they acknowledged their friendship. Um, yeah, what do you think, first of all, about the two so far? I, like I said, I love them. I really do. I love the way their relationship has come together, what they're both bringing to the table, how they improve each other. And um, it's very sweet. I'm acknowledging that, that this friendship they've made through everything in the world it's been worth it because it's like i met you you know what i mean i'm really glad i met you and mm. i also there's something charming and a little bit sad about being that honest about your inevitable demise <laughs> you know if we don't make it through this i just want you to know like your friendship has meant a lot to me i'm really glad that i got to meet you and uh, it's it's very sweet it's very it's awesome i do think that's what it is for both of them though I don't think they had this with anyone before the virus, at least not this way. It's like I've met my kindred spirit, you know, and yeah, the world had to end, but I'm so glad I met you. <laughs> Someone who speaks my language and gets me and my missing puzzle piece. And wants to fix the world with duct tape. <laughs> it is quite nice like, seeing them joke together about Lex. It's just... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can tell that like, that friendship there, they just clicked. Yeah, it works. <laughs> Head of insecurities. Yeah. That was a great, great line. Because again, nobody believes him, you know? They're just like, ugh, there's no point in arguing with him because he dropped the ball. And we all know what he did. He's running around posturing and they're just like, dude, you just look silly. You look like, you look silly. So just knock it off. <laughs> I love that line, head of insecurity. <laughs> because Lex's behavior is just so ridiculous because again he has to overbalance because he messed up he screwed up he knows he screwed up he had this <laughs> job and once again he let his own personal feelings and ego get in the way of doing his job properly and uh so he failed due to his own personal flaws and now it's like everyone's looking at him and he's embarrassed he's obviously really embarrassed and now he's lashing out at everybody because he's the one who screwed up and you'll notice lex is not very productive during this period where everyone's trying to think of what to do, you know, um, initial reaction is just to be a jerk to everybody. <laughs> you know, it's everybody else who's like, okay, this is what we have to do. You know, Lex is useless because he's too busy wallowing in self-pity of, oh, I screwed up. Everyone thinks I'm stupid and I don't know how to handle that. And um, and then he, he just, he spends the rest of the evening, you know, taking shots at everybody else to get the focus off himself and nobody's listening. It doesn't work. He's just a pathetic, tiny man screaming into the void that he's not tiny. And his actions just make him seem all the smaller and more pathetic. Yeah. Not one of my favorite Lex episodes. <laughs> Cause yeah, every time Lex messes up, that's how he has to overbalance. He attacks other people. He wants them to feel small. He wants them to feel bad. And 
I like the fact that people in the group are definitely seeing through it now. They're just not taking it. Even Ryan, you know, just like, look, you messed up. Don't even try to make this about me, you know? <laughs> even Ryan's like, dude, I'm not a plank, okay? Just because you screwed up, don't insult me, you know? And yeah, trying to attack Bray. Where's your precious Bray, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's like, dude... Nobody's listening to that rhetoric anymore. It's not helping your case. Stop. Just cut it out. Because he does the same thing every time he messes up. Every time. He doesn't learn anything from it. He just immediately makes excuses for himself and attacks other people. Everyone else has got to be the problem. And it's sad because he doesn't realize how pathetic it makes him look. And the longer this group gets to know him, the more they notice it, the more they recognize it. You know, the less afraid of him kids are you know you think of it he started off as this bully that they were afraid of and now jack and dal equally just pick on him they're not afraid of lex anymore you know they get it he's a, he's a bully because he's afraid of the world and um yeah i just i i didn't really care for him this episode but i was also enjoyed the way the others just didn't take any of his crap this episode yeah and the looks on their faces at the moments he tries to make excuses. He, he tries so hard. And it's like, even he knows nobody believes me, you know? And it's like, well, no, they don't. And uh, again, he, you can see him. He's just like, I had this one job. Why can't I just succeed at doing this thing? But again, it's because his own personal crap gets in the way. And he screws it for himself every time. You can see that even in the first moments of the episode, when Amber notices... Lex in that cage. Oh, he's like, please let me out of the cage. Like, don't let the others find out this is how you found me, please. <laughs> this is what he's been reduced to, begging to Amber. And she's just like, she's like, I got more important things than your ego, you know. Yeah, good luck with that. And I do love Zandra laying him out. I think it's funny that everybody else is just, he, everyone else is annoyed at Lex because he allowed a dangerous prisoner go someone who could potentially cause them a lot of trouble that's a very good reason to be mad at lex <laughs> it makes me laugh that zandra is only upset with him not because ebony got away <laughs> and the logos are coming after them but because he was eyeballing another woman you know what i mean like priority. come on she's instantly got her mind to okay so how did she get one over on lex well that's a way to get one over on lex mm-hmm <laughs> I feel like how genuinely upset she is with him though She's yeah. not buying any of his crap And she's determined to make him own up to it I want the truth from you You owe me that much You know, She won't let him weasel his way out I want to hear it from your lips What the frick happened in there Because she calls him out harder than anybody This whole episode <laughs> uh, I, I love her yeah, you might just be big enough idiot to do that. But you're not a, an idiot, are you, Lex? Yeah, that was good. Like, your story might work because if you were really... St it makes you look so stupid, it might be true. But you're not that stupid, are you? Nope. Which is interesting that, you know, in this desperate way to try and get out of it, he was willing to look dumb. Mm -hmm. Dumber than he actually is. You know, he didn't want to admit that... I went in there because I was horny. That's, ugh, it's so gross. Yeah. It's still, it still grosses me out, that whole scene between him and Ebony in the first place. And his predatory, oof, gross. 
I, I still just, I see that scene as hilarious from Ebony's point of view. <laughs> I will look at this pathetic little man child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Using her sexuality against him. Yeah. Like, my vagina has teeth. <laughs> but it's, it's also very true how women have had to use their sexuality, you know, to deal with men like Lex. Like, okay, that's all you're going to want from me. I'm going to use that to get what I want from you. And the minute she sussed him out, she's like, okay, that's what I have to do. Easy peasy, rice and cheesy. Yep. And Lex does not like people getting the better of him, especially a powerful woman. Oh, now he wants revenge on Ebony. It's like, um, you were going to rape her. Like, that was your goal when you went inside that cage. Uh, yeah. She just turned the tables on you. Yeah, good for her. Yep, good for her. Absolutely. I'm not even upset Ebony escaped. I'm like, that's, you go, girl. <laughs> I'm sorry the rest of them have to be scared and scrambling around, you know, worried of what's going to happen to them. But I'm not sorry she got away. I'm glad she got one over on Lex. He deserved that. Absolutely. Bible. Heavy. Brilliant. Jack, that's really dangerous. It will stop him. It'll stop him dead. That's the sort of thing they'd do. No, they wouldn't. They're not smart enough. It's horrible. You can't set fire to people. And we can get boards and bang nails through them and put them all over the tunnel floor. Points up. Jack, they want a war. I'll give them a war. We've um, spoken about Jack's moral compass in um, previous podcasts, but it comes up here once again as we discuss the various options for dangerous um, booby traps to try and stop the locos. Yes, it's an interesting discussion um, that comes up between Jack and Tyson. Um, what side do the panel fall on? Um, should they use dangerous booby traps in order to stop locos? Or do you agree with Ty San that it would change them in a very significant way if they went that way? Wow, this one's this is a hard one. Yeah, it probably would have changed them, but I do think Jack had a point. I mean, it was a good way to defend themselves. Mm. When it comes to survival... You see this question come up in a lot of different, it's an interesting theme. It's a great question to ask about having to survive um, insurmountable odds. What you're willing to do to survive, even if it literally changes you at your core, the kind of person you are, are you going to let this situation change you just so that you can win? You know, it's like people who they won't cheat to win because they want to win with dignity and honor. And then you have people who are like, who cares about dignity and honor? It's about winning. I don't want to die in this fight. I'll do whatever I have to. It's about, it's about winning. It's about surviving. Yeah. It always, this question comes up a lot. Is it really about surviving or is it about how you survive? Because if you, what good is surviving if who you are at the end is basically just a mangled corpse of a person? You know, what was the point of saving that person if this is what you've become? If you become twisted and demented just to survive in the world, were you worth saving at all if this is what the world turned you into? And this question comes up again and again in the tribe. What makes the mall rats so different than everybody else? It's not just that they survive. It's that how they manage to survive without losing who they are at their core. It's always about who they are at their core. They keep their humanity. Yeah, and that even when it means they could lose you know, they just aren't willing to throw that away. Think about any oppor- moments come up in the next five seasons where the Mallrats could have won. The characters could have won, but it would have meant giving up something in who they are at their core. Mm-hmm. And they just couldn't do it. 
and so they take the L and you're like, why would you do that? (laughs) Um, But sometimes it's about more than living. You know, if you lose what makes you who you are, then living doesn't even matter at that point, you know? And I feel like that's what the show is always bringing up. Yes, you might survive, but who are you saving at that point if what you've saved isn't you anymore? So I partly agree with Jack. Like, you want to keep the locos out. You should do anything in your power to keep them from coming in your home. But if what you have to do to keep them out of your home turns you into an animal and kills what makes you human and you lose your capacity to give a crap about other people uh, or lose the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, are you worth saving? What did you save at that point? It's a great moral question. It's a, it's a difficult question. Like, I, of all the, like, the post-apocalyptic like, series and novels I've read, it, it comes up again and again, but it is, there's never like a distinct answer. It is, it's very difficult. <laughs> like, how, how, much, how many morals are you willing to sacrifice to succeed? It's, yeah, it's, just, it's a personal question yeah. at the end of the day. And um, only you can answer it for yourself. And you may not even know what your answer will be until you're facing down the barrel of a gun. Yeah. Only then will you know who you are what you're willing to give up or what you're willing to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes at some point, death isn't the scariest thing that can happen to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, part of me, like my logical part is just like, oh my gosh, you guys are not going to keep out the locos if you're not willing to go hard with your traps. You know, you want to keep them out. <laughs> Scream, CDs of people screaming isn't going to scare them enough to stay out of your home. You know, a fireball would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That would keep them out. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm not going to cry if a loco gets their face burnt. I'm sorry. I'm not. They were coming to rape and pillage my home, right? <laughs> oh, did you get burned? I'm not going to feel bad about that. But yeah, at the same time, I do get what Tyson's saying. I don't know if in this particular situation I'd agree with Tyson, <laughs> But I get it. I get where she's coming from. Um, and of course... Amber takes the choice out of our hands by just saying, dude, we don't want to booby trap ourselves. <laughs> what if we need to get out, you know? And I yeah, guess it's true. And it's true. This kind of behavior can backfire on you. So it, what harm you're willing to cause other people would be turned on your own people, you know? So yeah, I don't know what I would do. Um, I don't know how, what would take for me to give up my life to hold on to that inch of myself. So, but I do love that this comes up time and time again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see different people making different choices later on. Yeah, because you just don't know. You don't know where you stand until it's you in the gun. <laughs> like, okay, it's a personal question. No one can answer it for you. You can't answer it for anyone else. What someone else is willing to keep for themselves is not something you're willing to, you know? Mm-hmm. I do wonder if they'd been allowed, like if everyone had been on board with fireballs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's a great one. It's such a great one. Um I do wonder if if that would have been enough for Bray to go, oh, I think we might actually keep these guys out. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'll stick around. (laughs) Probably not. Then again, how would he have gotten out with fireballs in the sewer? Now that, I want to see that. I want to see Bray dodging the booby trap so he can sneak out again. (laughs) Try explaining that one. I I suppose in a way it comes up again later when um, Tribe Circus um, storms the mall and sets fire to the mall. Yeah, like later we actually get to see what the consequences are when you aren't mm-hmm. willing to cause harm to others to protect yourself. You know, they get in, you know, they trash the place. 
they leave our heroes to face a terrible fate, you know, and you wonder, was it worth it? Was it worth holding onto our morals to end up like this, you know? But I do like the fact that once it's decided they're not going to do that, nobody, nobody makes a big fuss about it. Mm. It's like, we're in this, whatever our decisions are, we're in it together. So I, I do, I was glad that they didn't make a big fight about how they were going to mm. handle this, just that they're going to do it together. I do find it a nice little detail that it's once again, Jack, who's going for the practical solution with a, okay, we need to get these guys out. So what if we bomb them? <laughs> You know, for, first he's all like, okay, we need to execute her, and then <laughs> we need to bomb them. And yet he still remains an endearing person. You don't think yeah. Jack's a terrible person for making, you know, suggesting these things, you know. Though you would, you would think he was quite bloodthirsty. He <laughs> <laughs> would. And if he would have been more like Lex, then people would have assumed that of him. But his, yeah, his motivations aren't to be cruel. It's usually always no. in service of protecting the group. Yeah, he's practical. If they want a war, I'll give them a war. <laughs> I'm, I'm, see, there, there's that part of me that's like, I'm totally with Jack. You know, you're going to come into my home and think you can take it easy? Oh, heck no. I'm going to put up a fight, you know? I'll give you a fight. Mm-hmm. But it's also a great way for the writers to not actually have to <laughs> put that into the script. Because <laughs> they would never have got that past the censors. <laughs> So it's a great way to bring up the conversation, but also veto it very quickly. Like, this is why we won't be doing this. This is why the kids won't be going this hard. Uh, even if they would have let them do that, it would have failed. Yeah, probably. Who knows? Or, well, backfired when Bray tried to get back in. <laughs> I do think it would have backfired in some way. You know, having such dangerous traps in the mall, I think, would have definitely backfired. Um, because these are kids. Mm-hmm. That could have explained what, explained what happened to Paul. But. <laughs> oh, they, they, that would have been dark. That would have been so horribly dark. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, shit's horrible. That is horrible. Get a load of this. Track one. Martian volcanoes erupt. Two. Attack of the squealing flesh spiders. Three. Alien terror cries. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. We'll blast them to death with noise. <laughs> I'll freak you, you moron, if you do that again. <laughs> that was quite a light-hearted uh, moment where the group kind of laughed in the face of impending doom about the sound effects in that Dow had. Um, yeah, it was quite nice. What do you think of that little scene? It's a beautiful one. You know, you're, you, you sink or swim with your family, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're here together, we're all working together, we're all being productive towards protecting ourselves. It's all we can do. And um, the fact that they're able to laugh, even Lex, as a group, you know, having been frightened, you know, and that moment of just just a tiny bit of positivity, maybe we're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to be okay. And you need that. You need that moment of levity. I, I just like how everyone's pretty focused on what needs to be done. So there's, there's not a lot of wallowing around, like a bunch of people just wandering around, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They're just like, okay. There's a job to do, get stuck in, everyone's doing their part. And I like that. Um, then again, I love productive people. So, mm-hmm. like, get the job done, do what you got to do. And I like seeing that attitude among all of them. Very mature. Most of them. Yeah. Um, the way they're encouraging each other, you know, the boys giving Patsy and Chloe something to do so that they don't worry and then admitting that it takes their mind off of the worry too. And, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just nice seeing there's a lot of positivity happening despite what they're all preparing for. Mm-hmm. They're nice finally working together for something. Which makes the negative moments actually stand out in contrast. You know, mm-hmm. good writing there. Yeah. Speaking of productive people, um, what did you think of Trudy's conversation with Amber? Um, as she's wondering once again about Bray and she tells her, um, well, what happened with Celine and Bray and she saw them kissing. Yeah, I mean, a few different questions here. Like, what, what do you think about Amber and Trudy's friendship that's been forming so far? Um, and yeah, what do you think when Amber's face dropped when she heard the news about the kiss? Uh, Amber was so obvious there. I mean, at first he's, he's like just being a friend to Trudy, asking her what's wrong mm. this time. And Trudy just, yeah, she, she really puts some feeling into it, you know? Just the fact alone that she says, I wouldn't be so upset if he just kissed her, but he loves her. Yeah. That's what bothers me. And then, yeah, Amber's face at that is just, to me, it's hilarious because I'm not a Bramber fan. But I mean, if, yeah. you, if you didn't know before, it was quite obvious now that yeah, she had feelings for him at this point. It is interesting because both Amber and Trudy are upset about the exact same thing right now. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, you know, Trudy's being honest about what she's upset about. She's upset because Bray, you know, maybe in love with Celine. And there's a teeny, teeny bit of me that feels sorry for her because think about where she was when she last spoke to him. She was trying to be mature about this whole mm-hmm. thing. She it was her last resort at winning him. Maybe this is how I need to behave because all my other behaviors are chasing him away. So maybe I need to be mature and understanding and try to be an adult about this and he'll respond better to that. And it didn't work. Like minutes later, she looks over the balcony, he's already, you know, sucking face with Celine. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. She tried everything in her power, even though it was all so selfishly motivated. She really was trying to win him. And that was her last resort, trying to be mature, trying to be what she thought he'd want. And it didn't work. He just doesn't want her. And she has no choice but to accept, finally, he doesn't want her. And she's been hiding from that. And so teeny bit of me feels a little bad for her. Because it's like, yes, sweetie, I'm sorry. But this has been obvious from day one, you know. And I know how hard it is for you to take it. And go ahead, cry your heart out. (laughs) Go right ahead. The person's just like. It's just, I don't care. It's getting old. You know what I mean? Um, he didn't, he, it's clear he didn't want you. Okay, let it go. And uh, this wallowing and the self-pity hasn't helped you at all. And it's just, it's her standby. It's where she just keeps going. She so needs her mom. You know, and again, it just speaks mm-hmm. to being overindulged in other people taking care of you. And uh, she doesn't seem to be concerned what will happen to Brady. Because she's too wrapped up in what will happen to her, you know. And it does say something about the dynamic of her and Amber's relationship. This is not an equal relationship um, because the dynamic always requires Amber to be the mature one, to to be like the mother, mm-hmm. to constantly comfort and take care and try to guide Trudy in some way. And what is Trudy bringing to the friendship? Absolutely not. So to me, this isn't really a friendship yet. <laughs> Because Trudy's not bringing anything to the table except that she gives Amber someone who needs to be taken care of uh, very deeply, very desperately. And so, you know, Amber's caregiver side gets nurtured, but that's about it. And, uh, but it's very uneven. And 
Mm. That happens to Trudy a lot with a lot of her relationships because her inability to take care of herself forces her partners to have to take that on. And um, it makes their, it's, yeah, it makes it an uneven dynamic between them. And I mean, she'll grow out of it, but that's where she is now. So I look at her and Trudy, Amber and Trudy, and it's not cute to me. It's not heartwarming. It's like, oh, this is not healthy for either of you. And then you have Amber who's hiding behind what she's really feeling. She's just as upset that Bray could be in love with Celine and furious and, and acting just as petty, blaming Celine. Like, like, dude, so what? He loves her. How is that her fault? <laughs> like, oh, I noticed neither of you guys are mad at Bray. You're just, you're mad at the other woman for winning, you know? Um, That's how it always goes. And it's just really catty, you know? And it proves that Amber is just as capable of being catty and petty. And uh, that there's only so much she can control. You know, she's lashing out at Celine, but she doesn't even have a good reason for it. And Celine calls her on it. Like, what is your problem? Like, what? I haven't done anything. Why are you having a go at me? And she's trying to hide behind why, you know. And Celine's like, no, that's not it. Okay, don't talk to me that way. I haven't done anything. And uh, yeah, it's her feelings for Bray are really coming to the... It's interesting. Because you're so used to seeing Amber be able to maintain control yeah. and yet here's hints that this is someone who could completely unravel that in her because you're not used to seeing her that way <laughs> like oh look at you being all unreasonable because of a boy <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does it annoy you at all that it is because it's a boy that's the only thing that kind of truly unravels amber well i suppose it could annoy me um because yeah you got this very strong female character and yet it's a guy that kind of makes her fall apart a little. Mm. But I don't know. I guess with Amber, I'm, I'm willing to make an excuse this first time. Because I, f I feel like it's... But it's not the first time. She snapped at Celine before for going after Bray. No, you shouldn't do that. No, I'm talking about the first time in this period of her life. Mm. I'm not saying like it's the first time this week. I'm saying in this period of her life, this is the first time we're really seeing this person become unraveled by love. <laughs> You know, and it is a trademark story trope. You have people who are very controlled, but there's certain emotions they don't allow into their life. And what happens when those emotions come into their life? It shakes everything up. And so that's what this story is. You have Amber who stays away from these potential pains and hurts. And this is what happens when they start to seep into her life and cause chaos and trying to see, seeing her trying to deal with that. And you understand why she usually avoids it because it's a bit much, you know? So, I mean, yeah, it's your typical story trope with that. It'll get tiresome later, but right now, I guess it didn't bother me. At the end of the day, they're both teenage girls. Yeah. Dealing with, with Blaze behavior in their own separate ways. And yeah, oh, yeah I, guess, I, I guess it didn't bother me um, because I don't know, maybe it's just because Amber doesn't go too over the top when she's upset about it. Like she's upset, you know, and she does unreasonably snap at Celine because of it. But I don't know. I guess it doesn't bug me because it doesn't rule her every action. I don't know. You know, mm -hmm. she's still able to function and do other things and she's still able to keep her head straight about other stuff. It's not like she lets the pain of Bray distract her from being able to function at all you know <laughs> so you know and even and when Celine calls her out she doesn't have anything to say because she knows she's in the wrong you know uh so I guess it didn't bother me too much it'll get tiresome obviously when it's the same boy same conflict over and over again it gets really tiresome if I look at it simply it's like Amber and Celine 
feelings over Bray, well, they've just met him, you know? They haven't known him for that long, but for Trudy, she's basically been after Bray for so long and thought she could get him. So I get why she responds more emotional than the other two. Well, I mean, again, it's just like you said, they're all responding it based to based on who they are as people. Trudy is very emotional and she wears her emotions freely. She's not, she has a very healthy expression. She just lets them out. Even if the rest of the world doesn't want anything to do with her emotions, she does express them. She processes her emotions. And then you have someone like Amber who tries her hardest not to process those emotions. She'll shove them under the rug, stick them in a closet, put them in the basement. They don't exist. I don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, they always jump out and go, boo. And she's like, ah, I thought I dealt with you. No, you didn't. <laughs> you know, and then of course you have Celine. So they are all dealing with it in their personal ways based on their personalities. And that's interesting. I don't blame Trudy for being over emotional. It's just, you know, I don't care anymore. Um, I'm not like, how dare she? Like, I know a lot of people have problems with Trudy being over emotional, but I don't personally. <laughs> she's a dramatic person. She's very emotional. But that can sometimes be really healthy because she's at least processing her emotions. Mm -hmm. So when she deals with them, they're done. You know what I mean? Like she's done with that emotion. Time to move on to a new one. Um, Which is why she can switch so easily. Right. And it, I mean, again, I'm moody. And I've been, I was very emotional when I was young. My son takes right after me. Very moody, very emotional. But at least I always knew where his head has been at. Like, he doesn't, I've never, I was never the parent who'd be like, I didn't know my child did that. Because I knew everything this kid did. Because, <laughs> like Trudy, he just let the whole world know. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, um, so there is something to be said about feeling your emotions, processing them, and just going with it. You know, rather than trying to bundle them up and pretend they're not there. It's one of the healthier ways to deal with your emotions, honestly. Trudy is actually having a healthier way of dealing with things than others. It makes her, it forces her to be more honest with herself, that's for certain, yep. because she is processing what she's feeling. She tends to, when she comes out of it, have a much better handle on what that was all about. You know what I mean? Like, she, when she comes out of it, she will be able to look at what she just did and what she's been through and have a very honest conversation with herself and others about what that was, you yeah. know? She's not lying to herself when she comes out of it. She's like, okay, so this is what I went through. And this is why. <laughs> this is what I did. And this is what I did. And here's what I've learned from it. Moving on with my life. And that actually is good. It's annoying to have to deal with. It's annoying to have to see. But considering she's what, 15? It's fine. It's fine. I don't, you know, I got it. Uh, so that brings us to our final thoughts of the episode. Uh, and in the last scene, we see Ebony and Bray suddenly square off in secret. Um, obviously, I know the panel thought that they were going to make a deal, some kind of deal. But yeah, thinking back, what were your immediate thoughts when you originally saw that little scene? Um, it made sense. Mm. At least to me, it made sense. And you have Ebony going like, ah, oh, I wondered where, where would take you so long, you know? It was a very chummy hello, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it was just another game these two play. Mm -hmm. They've known each other for quite a while. They know how the other will respond. Neither of them were surprised by the outcome of this particular game. Nope. I won't lie. For a split second, for a split second, first time I ever saw it, I was like, okay, we're finally going to get the answer. It's like, 
is is Bray really is, are they in cahoots? <laughs> <laughs> Has this all been one big long plan? What's going on? <laughs> For a split second, I was like, wouldn't it be funny if Bray really was a danger? <laughs> This was just some long con for some weird reason. It was funny. But of course, logically, none of that makes sense. I was like, okay, you know, what's the deal between these two? What is he? He's probably going to try and talk her out of bothering them. And she's not surprised to see him, which tells me she was never planning on it. She just wanted to hear what Bray's bargaining chip was going to be. Did anyone have any idea what he was going to say to her? Did anyone know what the bargain was going to be? I kind of assumed, and that was just me judging it on things Bray said to Trudy. Mm. But I was just thinking he was gonna plead to keep the baby safe. Oh, okay. Mm. That that, but that's hopefully me thinking and projecting things on Bray based on his comments that Ebony should never find out. And oh crap, now she did. Yeah. I figured, yeah, I figured he was just going to plead the case for them all. Like, there's no reason to bother us. You can see we weren't a threat to you. Just leave us alone. Try to appeal to whatever it was they once shared. And, um, you know, just eat crow a little bit. Mm-hmm. And try and sweeten her up. Like, okay, look, we caught you. That's your fault. You shouldn't have come. Okay, I don't know why you followed me. But you got your proof. My brother's gone. Like, there's no reason to bother us. So please just leave us alone. I figured that's what he was going to go for. Just leave us alone. Make her feel like it was her decision. And this is just me being evil. I kind of think Bray would want to know what actually happened between Ebony and Lex. Just so he could, like, hold it over him forever. <laughs> I don't think he cared because he already knew. Yeah. He saw it. Yeah. He was like, let me guess. Lex thought he was going to get it with you and you, you tricked him. Been there, done that. No. Yeah, been there, done that. Seen you in action. All right. <laughs> And being smart about, well, actually getting his way with her instead of Lex's failed attempts. Because that is that is one of uh, Bray's character flaws, which is interesting. It's why Ebony was able to cut his ropes and you know, follow him back to the mall. Because Bray often thinks he can outsmart certain people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He thinks he can handle the situation better than anybody else. And he gets in his own way sometimes. So he just assumed, oh yeah, I can get back to the mall. I didn't see anybody, and he figured he'd outsmarted Ebony. It never occurred to him that she'd outsmarted him, you know, because he's caught up in that headspace. And here he is again. I'm going to handle the situation myself because I know the poor mall rats can't. So <laughs> I'm going to live in. It's part of Bray's I can fix it. You know, he thought I'm going to take care of Trudy and this baby. And I'm going to wait to tell my brother about the baby because I'm going to manage this whole situation for everybody rather than allow anybody else to have an idea of their own. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Trudy, I need you like this and I need to keep you like this. And I get to keep my brother in the dark until I deem it's time for him to know on and on, blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. we see what happens when I, I'm, he thought he could manage them all rats. I'm going to manipulate these guys, charm my way in, then present them with a pregnant girl. That's Bray, you know? And yeah. here he is again. I'm going to handle the situation. I'm going to deal with Ebony on my own because I can do it. Because <laughs> I'm Bray. <laughs> and sometimes he does. Sometimes he's right. Like, t- diplomacy was the best way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Other times it's like, Bray, you can't manage people that way. It doesn't work like that. 
Yeah, but he's known Ebony quite a while, and yeah, especially what we see in next episode is how he's bargaining with her. Yeah, I, I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Well, like I said, sometimes it does work, you know, but other times he underestimates another person's personal motives yeah. or the way they would feel, and it doesn't work because he thought he could outsmart them, you know, and no matter how well he knows Ebony, how many times does she outsmart him? Yeah. Plenty. <laughs> Plenty of times like he thinks he's got a grasp on her, thinks he's handling the situation, and no, she's just playing him. Yeah, but in all fairness, does anyone ever truly have a grasp on Ebony? I don't have to think about that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah, good question, yeah. I'll have a thing to get back. <laughs> uh, oh, we didn't mention the intercoms. I love the intercoms. I thought that was cute. It's a great bit. Very smart to have communication throughout the mall like that. It's something that, too bad they didn't keep all the time. Mm. Um, just being able to reach out to people in other parts of the mall anytime you need to. Very clever. I like that. And, of course, I love hearing Lex and Zondra spat over it. Everyone laughing. That is hilarious. It's a great distillation of the tension. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in a moment when you needed it. That's cool. And, um, yeah, I'm glad. I'm proud of Ryan standing up to Lex. You know, it's an interesting conversation between those two. Such a messed up friendship right there. Yeah. I don't know, it's just, it's weird. Like, Lex on one hand, he if he thinks he can get what he wants from someone else other than Zandra, he's willing to discard Zandra at the drop of a hat. I don't need her anymore. Mm-hmm. He still isn't seeing her as a human being. She's just a means to an end. And as soon as another female comes into the picture where he, get, he can get what he wants from her, Zandra doesn't matter to him anymore. He's just a doll. He throws. Anyone else can have her. You know, think how quickly he discards her so he can look after Ebony. And then mm-hmm. now it's like, that didn't work out with Ebony. And he's embarrassed. And, you know, his ego has been bruised. And so his eye is back on Zandra. I'm going to have to fix this with her eventually. I don't know how. Ryan, you stay away from her. I'm not done with her yet. He's just keeping her there, like, his insurance to get laid. That's all she is to him. Yeah. And, you know, we'll see her discarding her again quite soon, you know, and yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. He does not see her as a person at all. She's just a walking vagina. That's all she is. That's all most women are to him, you know, you, he can either get in or he can't. And if he can't, you're no real use to him. And if he can, that's why he keeps you around. Um, I, I don't know if I should be admire his tenacity or not. Like, I have no idea how to feel about that. Jeez, like, dude. And of course, it's just Lex lashing out at Ryan because he's the one who messed up. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to blame Ryan. I'm not a plank. Such a small thing to say, but I'm not a plank, Lex. It's a good lead up, though, to when Ryan finally ends up turning on Lex, saying, if you don't cut out, you're not going to have any friends left, you know? Mm-hmm. Because even I won't let you treat me like this forever. Yeah, uh, speaking of that, did you think that was a, like a sly dig? When he says those easy income things are brilliant, or did you think he, not, he didn't mean it in that way? I thought he was trying to make Lex feel better about the fact they didn't go with the fireballs. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he could tell this isn't really going to stop anybody from coming in here, you know? And Lex definitely wanted to do the fireballs, but the girls talked him out of it. And... Here's Ryan still trying to be a good friend to Lex and protect his ego. So it's just like, yeah, these were brilliant. It was it was great that you had Jack make these. And Lex is like, shut up, Ryan. 
<laughs> I, I always took it as a little dig at Lex. Just, you know? I don't know. It's just Ryan's not really good at being, like, with that kind of... He's not petty. I, I don't... Vindictive? What's the term? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's just... He's not... He doesn't go at people like that. He doesn't play dirty with them. And he doesn't... He doesn't usually say things with the intent of insulting people. You know? Um... Even when he has every reason to, even when he has a right, if Ryan's going to call you out, he usually, he doesn't do it in a sneaky way. He says it straight to your face. You know, even if he does it clumsily, he'll say it. Mm -hmm. um, but he's not good at jibes. <laughs> he's not the zinger kind of guy. Mm -hmm. So I, I honestly thought he was trying to make Lex feel better because he knew this was kind of lame. <laughs> And he's just like, you did good, boss. Just, these things are great. He's brilliant. You could have had fireballs. But, you know, <laughs> this will work, too. Yeah, we can hear anything. And Lex is like, oh, stop kissing ass. I know this sucks, okay? I know this is a really terrible consolation prize. I don't know how this is going to keep them out, but. You know, it's like you, you, have you ever wanted something really bad and you told like your parents, I really want this, I really want this. But for whatever reason, your parents either couldn't get it, they couldn't afford it. So they present you with something that's kind of similar, you know, it's not exactly what you wanted, but you know, you, you, you're old enough to recognize they tried. So you're like, oh my gosh, I love these. Thank you. They're even better than the ones I really wanted. <laughs> yep. Even though you don't really feel that way, but you're just like, thanks, mom and dad. I appreciate everything you do for me. I don't think I'm ever going to wear these, but <laughs> hide them in your closet. So that brings episode 19 to a close. Um, thank you to the panel and we'll see you next time for episode 20. Uh, so until then, bye. Bye. Bye.